0: Chapter 58 of The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens Chapter 58 In which one scene of this history is closed Dividing the distance into two days' journey, in order that his charge may sustain the less exhaustion and fatigue from travelling so far, Nicholas, at the end of the second day from their leaving home, found himself within a very few miles of the spot where the happiest years of his life had been passed, and which, while it filled his mind with pleasant and peaceful thoughts, brought back many painful and vivid recollections of the circumstances in which he and his had wandered forth from their old home, cast upon the rough world and the mercy of strangers. It needed no such reflections as those which the memory of old days and wanderings among scenes where our childhood has been passed, usually awaken in the most insensible minds, to soften the heart of Nicholas, and render him more than usually mindful of his drooping friend. By night and day, at all times and seasons, always watchful, attentive, and solicitous, and never varying in the discharge of his self-imposed duty to one so friendless and helpless as he whose sands of life were now fast running out, and dwindling rapidly away. He was ever at his side, he never left him. To encourage and animate him, administer to his wants, support and cheer him to the utmost of his power, was now his constant and unceasing occupation. They procured a humble lodging in a small farmhouse surrounded by meadows, where Nicholas had often revelled when a child with a troop of merry schoolfellows, and here they took up their rest. At first, Smike was strong enough to walk about for short distances at a time, with no other support or aid than that which Nicholas could afford him. At this time, nothing appeared to interest him so much as visiting those places which had been most familiar to his friend in bygone days. Yielding to this fancy, and pleased to find that its indulgence beguiled the sick boy of many tedious hours, and never failed to afford him matter for thought and conversation afterwards. Nicholas made such spots the scenes of their daily rambles driving him from place to place in a little pony-chair and supporting him on his arm while they walked slowly among the old haunts or lingered in the sunlight to take long parting looks of those which were most quiet and beautiful it was on such occasions as these that nicholas yielding almost unconsciously to the interest of old associations would point out some tree that he had climbed a hundred times to peep at the young birds in their nest and the branch from which he used to shout to little Kate who stood below, terrified at the height he had gained and yet urging him higher still by the intensity of her admiration, there was the old house too, which they would pass every day, looking up at the tiny window through which sun used to stream in and wake him on the summer mornings. They were all summer mornings then, and climbing up the garden wall and looking over, Nicholas could see the very rose-bush which had come a present to Kate from some little lover, and she had planted it with her own hands. There were the hedgerows where the brother and sister had so often gathered wild flowers together, and the green fields and shady paths where they had so often strayed. There was not a lane or a brook or a copse or a cottage near with which some childish event was not entwined. And back it came upon the mind, as events of childhoods do, nothing in itself—perhaps a word, a laugh, a look, some slight distress, a passing thought or fear and yet more strongly and distinctly marked, and better remembered, than the hardest trials or severest sorrows of a year ago. One of these expeditions led them through the churchyard, where was his father's grave. Even here, said Nicholas softly, we used to loiter before we knew what death was, and when we little thought whose ashes would rest beneath, and wondering at the silence, sit down to rest and speak below our breath. Once Kate was lost, and after an hour of fruitless search, They found her, fast asleep under that tree which shades my father's grave. He was very fond of her, and said when he took her up in his arms, still sleeping, that whenever he died he would wish to be buried where his dear little child had laid her head. You see, his wish is not forgotten. Nothing more passed at the time, but that night Nicholas sat beside his bed. Smike started from what had seemed to be a slumber, and laying his hand in his, prayed as the tears coursed down his face that he would make him one solemn promise what is that said nicholas kindly if i can redeem it or hope to do so you know i will i'm sure you will was the reply promise me that when i die i shall be buried near as near as they can make my grave to the tree we saw to-day nicholas gave the promise he had few words to give it in but they were solemn and earnest his poor friend kept his hand in his and turned as if to sleep. But there were stifled sobs, and the hand was pressed more than once or twice, or thrice, before he sank to rest, and slowly loosed his hold. In a fortnight's time he became too ill to move about. Once or twice Nicholas drove him out, propped up with pillows, but the motion of the chase was painful to him, and brought on fits of fainting, which in his weakened state were dangerous. There was an old couch in the house which was his favourite resting place by day, and when the sun shone and the weather was warm Nicholas had this wheeled into a little orchard, which was close at hand, and his charge being well wrapped up and carried out to it they used to sit there sometimes for hours together. It was on one of these occasions that a circumstance took place which Nicholas at the time thoroughly believed to be the mere delusion of an imagination affected by disease but which he had afterwards too good reason to know was of a real and actual occurrence. He had brought Smike out in his arms—poor fellow a child might have carried him then—to see the sunset, and having arranged his couch had taken his seat beside it. He had been watching the whole of the night before, and being greatly fatigued both in mind and body, gradually fell asleep. He could not have closed his eyes five minutes when he was awakened by a scream. And a starting up in that kind of terror which affects a person suddenly roused, saw to his great astonishment that his charge had struggled into a sitting posture, and with eyes almost starting from their sockets, cold dew standing on his forehead, and in a fit of trembling which quite convulsed his frame, was calling to him for help. "'Good heaven, what is this?' said Nicholas, bending over him. "'Be calm, you've been dreaming.' "'No, no, no,' cried Smike, clinging to him hold me tight don't let me go there there behind the tree nicholas followed his eyes which were directed to some distance behind the chair from which he himself had just risen but there was nothing there this is nothing but your fancy he said as he strove to compose him nothing else indeed i know better i saw as plain as i see now was the answer Or say you'll keep me with you swear you won't leave me for an instant do i ever leave you returned nicholas lie down again there You see, I'm here. Now tell me, what was it?" "'Do you remember?' said Smike in a low voice, and glancing fearfully round. "'Do you remember my telling you of the man who first took me to the school?' "'Yes, surely.' I raised my eyes just now towards that tree, the one with the thick trunk, and there, with his eyes fixed upon me, he stood. "'Only reflect for one moment,' said Nicholas, granting for an instant that it is likely he is alive and wandering about a lonely place like this so far removed from the public road do you think that at this distance of time you could possibly know that man again anywhere in any dress returned smike but just now he stood leaning upon his stick and looking at me exactly as i told you i remembered him he was dusty with walking and poorly dressed i think his clothes were ragged but directly i saw him the wet night his face when he left me the parlour i was left in and the people that were there All seemed to come back together. When he knew I saw him, he looked frightened, for he started and shrunk away. I have thought of him by day, and dreamt of him by night. He looked in my sleep when I was quite a little child, and has looked in my sleep ever since, as he did just now. Nicholas endeavoured by every persuasion and argument he could think of, to convince the terrified creature that his imagination had deceived him. And that this close resemblance between the creation of his dreams and the man he supposed he had seen was but a proof of it, but all in vain. When he could persuade him to remain for a few moments in the care of the people to whom the house belonged, he instituted a strict inquiry whether any stranger had been seen, and searched himself behind the tree and through the orchard and upon the land immediately adjoining, and in every place near where it was possible for a man to lie concealed but all in vain. Satisfied that he was right in his original conjecture, he applied himself to calming the fears of Smike, which, after some time, he partially succeeded in doing, though not in removing the impression upon his mind, for he still declared again and again, in the most solemn and fervid manner, that he had positively seen what he had described, and that nothing could ever remove his conviction of its reality. And now Nicholas began to see that hope was gone that upon the partner of his poverty, and the sharer of his better fortune, the world was closing fast. There was little pain, little uneasiness, but there was no rallying, no effort, no struggle for life. He was worn and wasted to the last degree. His voice had sunk so low that he could scarce be heard to speak. Nature was thoroughly exhausted, and he had lain him down to die. On a fine, mild autumn day, When all was tranquil and at peace, when the soft sweet air crept in the open window of the quiet room, and not a sound was heard but the gentle rustling of the leaves. Nicholas sat in his old place by the bedside, and knew that the time was nearly come. So very still it was that every now and then he bent down his ear to listen for the breathing of him who lay asleep, as if to assure himself that life was still there, and that he had not fallen into that deep slumber from which on earth there is no waking while he was thus employed the close eyes opened and on the pale face there came a placid smile that's well said nicholas sleep's done you good i've had such pleasant dreams was the answer such pleasant happy dreams of what said nicholas the dying boy turned towards him and putting his arm around his neck made an answer i shall soon be there after a short silence he spoke again I'm not afraid to die," he said. I am quite contented. I almost think that if I could rise from this bed quite well I would not wish to do so now. You have so often told me we shall meet again, so very often lately, and now I feel the truth of that so strongly that I can even bear to part from you." The trembling voice and tearful eye, and the closer grasp of the arm which accompanied these latter words, showed how they filled the speaker's heart nor were there wanting indications of how deeply they had touched the heart of him to whom they were addressed. You say well, returned Nicholas at length, and comfort me very much, dear fellow. Let me hear you say you are happy, if you can. I must tell you something first. I should not have a secret from you. You would not blame me at a time like this, I know. I blame you? exclaimed Nicholas. I'm sure you would not. You asked me why I was so changed, and— and sat so much alone. Shall I tell you why? Not if it pains you, said Nicholas. I only ask that I may make you happier, if I could. I know. I felt that at the time. He drew his friend closer to him. You will forgive me if I could not help it. But though I would have died to make her happy, it broke my heart to see. I know he loves her dearly. Oh, who could find that out so soon as I? The words which followed were feebly and faintly uttered and broken by long pauses. But from them Nicholas learnt for the first time that the dying boy, with all the ardour of nature, concentrated on one absorbing hopeless secret passion, loved his sister Kate. He had procured a lock of her hair, which hung at his breast, folded in one or two slight ribbons she had worn. He prayed that when he was dead, Nicholas would take it off, so that no eyes but his might see it and that when he was laid in his coffin and about to be placed in the earth, he would hang it round his neck again, and it might rest with him in the grave. Upon his knees Nicholas gave him this pledge, and promised again that he should rest in the spot he had pointed out. They embraced and kissed each other on the cheek. Now, he murmured, I am happy. He fell into a light slumber, and waking, smiled as before, and spoke of beautiful gardens which he said stretched out before him, and filled with the figures of men, women, and many children, all with light upon their faces, and then whispered that it was Eden, and so died. End of chapter 58